on a thousand planets and spreading out. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. To the bat poles. May the force be with you. Who is that mask man? Avengers, assemble. Good afternoon and welcome to the Fantastic Forum. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. Before we get to today's discussion, here's some genre-related news. The latest convention casualty of the coronavirus is Otakon. The fan-run anime convention and celebration of Japanese culture announced earlier this week that the event has been canceled for 2020, but will return August 6th through 8th, 2021. The con is making an exception to its usual no-refunds policy, and dealers and artists will have the option to transfer their registrations to next year. Additional information is available via the website at otakon.com. After Time Comics on King Street in Alexandria has closed. Owner David Erskine had originally planned to reopen in a new location on North Washington Street in time for Free Comic Book Day. However, with the coronavirus crisis having postponed the industry event for this year, Erskine has decided to wait out the social distancing directives. After Time Comics will reopen after the restrictions have been lifted. And speaking of Free Comic Book Day, today, the first Saturday in May, was supposed to have been that day the comics publishers make certain books available at no cost. It is the biggest day for the comics industry, and it is postponed this year due to concerns surrounding the coronavirus. Diamond Comics Distributors has indicated the rescheduled date for Free Comic Book Day will be sometime this summer. More information is available via the website at freecomicbookday.com. It was announced earlier this week that Sir Terry Pratchett's Discworld series is in development as a television adaptation. Pratchett's Narrativia production company has partnered with Motive Pictures and Endeavor Content. No word on which of the over 40 Discworld books will be adapted first. Reports are that the adaptations will remain totally faithful to the original work. Star Wars Episode IX, The Rise of Skywalker, will debut on Disney Plus earlier than expected. The new date is May the 4th, in accordance with May the 4th Be With You. All nine of these Star Wars episodic movies will be available for viewing together via the streaming service on that date. Today, it's part two of our discussion on our favorite movie, television, comic book, and literature sequels. We've got everybody coming back. I am uh, fortunate enough to have uh, Camille Richardson, we have uh, Brandon Troy, and we have Michael Lunsford. And uh, we had such a fun time last week, I said, oh, we've got to do a sequel to last week's episode because there was so much to talk about and I felt when the show ended well in fact quiet as it's kept we kept talking for about another hour and a half after the show was over anyway <laughs> yeah hey so um, I do want to mention a couple of things from the uh, intro to the show uh, one is the fact that 
uh, well, of course, we are, uh, the show is airing uh, in, in May, <laughs> but due to the uh, restrictions uh, put, placed upon us by the coronavirus, we're actually taping the show on Tuesday, April 28th. And it just so happens that today is National Superhero Day. So, uh, you know, I, hopefully uh, by the time Saturday rolls around, you observe National Superhero Day by taking your favorite hero uh, to lunch or to dinner, uh, by posting a picture with your favorite uh, fictional or real hero, because, of course, given the current circumstances, we got a lot of people who are in the healthcare industry who are truly heroes, people uh, and actually not just even the healthcare industry, people on the front lines in terms of uh, working in food service, working in grocery stores, uh, you know, keeping uh, that element of our society open, making sure that we are fed, uh, that we are able to purchase supplies, uh, hold no shortage of heroes here on National Superhero Day. Uh, something else we uh, was announced this week that uh, Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker is going to be debuting on Disney Plus earlier than had been originally announced. Uh, of course, now it, the date is May 4th for May the 4th Be With You. And I know um, some people have some feelings about that. In fact, Mike, you were speaking very passionately about that only a couple of moments ago. I was, indeed. I, I'm a huge Star Wars fan in general. Um, I just love the entire universe of it. Um this movie caught a lot of flack and I'm not saying that it shouldn't have because I don't think there was a cohesive plan for the whole trilogy because you started with JJ and then it became Ryan Johnson's thing. And then it was supposed to be Colin Trevorrow's and then it became JJ's again. And like, I'm going to come out and say it's probably an unpopular opinion. I don't really like JJ Abrams as a director. Um, I don't think he's that good. I think that a lot of the stuff that he does, if you look at even his TV series that he's involved in, they, they lack, an ending they have these great concepts and then they don't follow through lost alias uh the star trek movies that he did um same thing with the star wars things they didn't come through there was something missing there but in the long run when i sat and watched this movie i enjoyed it it was exciting it was fun the the logical part of my brain the really nerdy star wars fan in me was like well this doesn't make sense because x y and z and this doesn't add up here and how the heck did this happen and how did they get to this place and like why isn't this person doing this thing like that was happening a lot but for the most part i was just really just enjoying the ride it, it, there was a lot going on man they really crammed a lot into that last movie but like overall i enjoyed it i probably need to give it another watch because it was probably like with most movies, I need to give it at least two watches before I can give it a real good review because, like, there's the, especially with Star Wars, I'm so excited to go see a Star Wars movie in the movie theaters, like, <laughs> that I, there's there's probably a little bit of, like, just being amped up and, like, it would have to be awful for me to come out of there being like, man, that sucked. But, like, <laughs> it, it, needed a, it needed a lot, but still it was fun and it was total fan service. Like, every single thing in that movie was fan service. But, like, I'm, I'm for it bring it on bring me more give me more they're gonna do more later sweet i'm with it like would it have been nice if there was more character development um, yeah absolutely <laughs> but in the long run it was fun and that I, I, a friend of mine i was on another podcast and he interviewed me and we were talking about it and he was saying that he went with um his nephew 
And he was looking around the theater and he saw a lot of like angry older guys like with their arms crossed pissed off because for whatever reason, like, oh, these isn't as good as the Timothy Zahn trilogy that came out. Like, okay, great. Cool. It it isn't. Get over it. But like he turned and looked at his nine year old nephew and his nephew was like, he asked him, he was like, hey, what do you think of the movie? And he was like, oh, it's awesome. And this thing exploded and it was cool. And this person and like it, it's a hard pill to swallow that these new franchises may not be meant for the older fans. And I understand that, and that sucks because I'm 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 those older fans, but at the same time too, like my 11 year old son is now a Star Wars fan because of these things that they've been doing. Like they're, Star Wars now that it's a Disney thing, Disney's doing a lot to try to bring in a younger generation. Because I hate to break it to you guys, as much as us old heads love this stuff, if they don't get the new kids into it, it dies. And like that's what happens to franchises. You have to bring in new blood, or they're just they're gonna end. And, and Nobody wants to see that. So it's you got to kind of take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, it, it may not be exactly the way you remember it or the way that you wanted it or the way the books were. But like we're still getting it. And it's not like I swear to God, if I see anybody else call them abominations, like I'm going to lose my mind <laughs> because, yeah, they may not be exactly what you want, but they're not that bad. Just, just chill. Jeez, like take yeah, that cert- dial way down. Certainly not abominations. But, you know, uh, one of the things that I note uh, and um, I, 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 you're absolutely right when you observe that some of us are no longer in the target audience for these projects. And uh, I, I speaking with um uh, a little, uh, some degree of authority here because I was I was first generation Star Wars. I, I was second generation Star Trek because I wasn't quite old enough to watch that when it originally aired on NBC. I didn't really discover it until it went into syndication in the early seventies. But I was right there on the front lines, <laughs> brand new, you know, when Star Wars came out. And uh, one of the things that I, I, again that I noted. Um, based purely on because when you talk about uh, the thing not having legs and the importance of engaging a younger audience that's very real but projections after Star Wars and this was in terms of the merchandising the projections were that they could have continued to sell toys for another 20 years even if there had only been that one movie and so you can imagine now uh, that based on the way that the franchise has been developed that you know because you've got a whole bunch of movies you've got books you've got tv series cartoons you know the merchandising is really probably the main thing about all this you know in addition to the fact that now they've hooked they've hooked this audience and you know hey not just uh, not just me you know i mean people coming up behind me like you and Camille and uh, Brandon, you know, I mean, and people even younger, you know, like your son and uh, your friend's nephew and, yeah. uh, you know, the so whole new generation uh, that has now grown up. Because uh, I think we're now like third or fourth generation Star Wars. You know, if you, you know, take it like 1977, you know, that's, I yeah. think that's at least two, three generations we've had time to get through in uh, in 40 years. But it's it is very important to note that uh, these things live on and they evolve, and that's very difficult for for fans. You know the fact that you can have something that may start out one way and it doesn't, it changes. You know you got new people writing it, you got new people uh, 
servicing it, basically. So, I don't not necessarily the issue. I mean, you can still have new Star Wars and embarking on a whole new era, but have a brain to it would be my only issue. And I'm not saying, like, all the rest are, are perfect in terms of the original trilogy or the prequel trilogy, because they're not. But at the same time, like, at least make it cohesive within itself and so that you can actually follow it. So, yeah, we might be able to get, you, you know, new kids on board. And that's awesome, and I want that regardless. But you can still do that with a well-written story and still honoring what we have known about Star Wars within the universe for, I mean, even before all Legends was canceled. Like, there are just certain things that it's like, yeah, you can change certain things, you can evolve, you can make it new. But, I mean, you're basically rewriting so much that yeah. doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, they literally did that to the second movie. Because... Like, say what you will about The Last Jedi, but Ryan Johnson had some stones, man. Like, cause he was like, he was like, hey, you know how every single person is like related to like somebody famous or somebody infamous or like there's like five bloodlines that are important in the entire Star Wars franchise. And that's the only thing that matters. Yeah. You know who Ray is? Nobody. Like, I was I was impressed by that. I actually really liked that because it made it brought something back that the prequels stole. The prequel said the only way that you can be a Jedi is if you've got this magical microorganism living inside of you. That's the only way you can be a Jedi. So it became like a Blue Bloods elitist thing. Not everybody could be a Jedi. But like when you watched Return of the Jedi, when you watched Empire Strikes Back, Luke was, you know, he, he had the power within him. But like he sucked. But he got better over time with practice. So, like, the lesson was more like you can become this thing if you work hard and you practice and you're pure of heart. And the prequel stole that. And then no. Ryan Johnson kind no, of put Luke, that back. Luke had the bloodline, I though. I mean, yes, but he, at the same time, too. Like, I mean, it, now everybody's force sensitive. Even, like, Joe Schmo, like, on the side of the street. Like, I can't. I but can't. that's but that's what I, that's the problem, though. And that, that's what I'm saying is, like... Ryan Johnson was like, hey, the Force doesn't play favorites. The Force isn't just like, it's these people and that's it. It's some random person. And then J.J. Well, was like, I don't They want to write out then what has been known as canon in terms of midichlorians. And, you know, we've dealt with that all through Clone Wars as well. Oh. So, you know, it's in so much canon as it is. So yeah. what happens then? Does that just get erased? And here's the thing. Even with the sequel trilogy, I don't actually hate all of it. Like, I can sit there, and there are certain things I enjoy the hell out of, and I absolutely love it. But again, as an entire trilogy, I mean, I just thought it was a complete wasted opportunity to give us something new and different, but have it be actually good movies, like like actual legitimate good movies, well-written, everything. I'll give you an example. Of exactly wait, wait, hold, hold, hold that yeah. thought one second. Yeah. You're listening to Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Camille Richardson, Brandon Troy, and Mike Lunsford. And uh, we are, we got a little sidetracked, I'll admit. <laughs> We're talking about the fact that... Uh, I mean, we are talking about sequels. Well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> The Last Jedi is going to be available on Disney Plus starting Wrong on the 4th. Oops, sorry. Well, <laughs> you know, yes, I'm sorry. The Rise of Skywalker. But, all right, pivoting to Last Jedi for just a second, uh, just to piggyback on what you guys were saying. No, I thought the, the what Ryan Johnson was trying to say at the conclusion of that movie was that more people had the force than maybe you thought. And that's, and that's what I'm trying to say, is it wasn't just those elitist few. It, the, any Not anybody could have it, but like there was more to the universe than 
than just the Skywalkers and the Kenobis and the Palpatines and 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 that that's it. Like that, it, it was very limited. Anyway, so look, uh, the topic of today's show uh, was sequels, and like I said, we had such a good time doing this last week. I said, hey, let's revisit this. So um, I'm going to kick us off because I had actually started talking about uh, Superman 2 <laughs> last at the end of last week's show. And um, Superman 2 uh, coming because Superman the movie to this instant for me remains the best comic book adaptation movie bar none i mean you can talk about your infinity wars and your iron mans and your all this other stuff cap it's, it's all it hey superman the movie that was the prototype for all of this and superman 2 uh, even though it didn't turn out the way that it was supposed to richard donner uh, who was the director of the first superman um, well, and I Ilya and Alexander Salkind, who were the producers, uh, they had earlier in the 70s, they had uh, done using a similar technique, uh, a Three Musketeers movie and a sequel. And they shot both films simultaneously. And that essentially is what happened with Superman and Superman 2. Richard Donner had directed both of them uh, after all these things got done. Uh, there were a couple of issues, not only with Donner, but also with Marlon Brando, who was uh, one of the stars of the film, played Jor-El. And so uh, director Richard Lester was brought in to sort of recraft what had been put together. Uh, the result was uh, not exactly what Superman 2 was supposed to be, but it was still a really enjoyable film. And might not have had the cohesiveness that the original Superman 2 was supposed to have, but there were some really great moments, including Superman challenging General Zod to step outside like a gentleman and have, have at thee with some good old super fisticuffs. And <laughs> we had never seen super-powered combat exactly in that way before. And if for, if only for that reason... Superman 2, I think, is a very significant film. So, anyway, starting us out with uh, Superman 2. But um, if nobody else has anything to add, uh, I can't remember what, what, what was the order we were going through last time, because I know I started, and then I think it was either Mike or Brandon, and uh, I remember Camille was the anchor leg there. So, um, do we remember who was next? feel like we should let Brandon go next because me and Camille have been running our mouths about Star Wars so much. So. A little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> Brandon, uh, I, I know you still have stuff on that list of yours. Uh, I do. And I have, uh, uh, I, I've narrowed it down to three. Um, I guess the one that I'll start like this go around, I would say, is Blade 2. Um, you know, Blade back in 98 came out of nowhere. Um, where, you know, a lot of people, you know, whether they remember like the old 70s, like, you know, super 70s uh, uh, comic book, um, you know, they modernized it. And at that time, I know a lot, a lot of people typically, uh, typically uh, give Blade the, I always say it's like the bastard child of Marvel, where it doesn't really get a lot of credit for what it, what it accomplished versus 
um, you know, like X-Men um, that a lot of times gets the credit for bringing about the the onset of like the superhero film, but Blade uh, can be placed in that category. A lot of people forget that that, that was uh, among the first films that had bullet time, uh, at that, one of the first films that had that. Um, and then I was going to say with Blade 2, um, here you have this film again that came out of nowhere and now you have to try to top that. So it was an easy way of, it could have easily been a cash grab of just doing kind of like the same formula and just having vampires. But um, they, they tried to do something a little different and awesomely enough, they brought in, you know, a new director, not to say that Steven Norton wasn't any good. He was great. Um, they brought in a guy, a little gentleman by the name of Guillermo del Toro that at that time not a lot of people knew about i knew about him because i had followed his work in other films that he had done with like chronos and mimic which i absolutely love those films so like when i found out that he was directing it i was like okay i'm curious to see what he's going to bring you know to this film and you know i love him as a director because i feel even if he wasn't directing film himself he is a huge fan of cinema in general so like if you're going to a convention, I feel like he would be going to Comic-Con if even if he wasn't going as a guest. He would be doing all these various events that deal with cinema. And you can tell in the way he executes his films that he loves and is very passionate about what he's doing. So I guess that would more than likely be my first film because I feel like now a lot of people are kind of getting on the bandwagon of Guillermo del Toro. And I'm like, okay, I was kind of already on that bandwagon before everybody else was kind of you know, feeling what Guillermo was doing. So that's my film. Well, Blade, actually, I, I am totally in agreement with you. That is the film that saved Marvel. And uh, yeah. you know, with, without any question, that that started the whole business of people understanding that these movies could be profitable be and successful. Yeah. yeah, that too, you know? I mean, so, no, big, big deal. Uh, with Blade. So uh, yeah, Blade 2. That's my, that's my first. <laughs> there you go. And I tell you what, the mandibles open up uh, on those things because those uh, Reavers, I think they were. Reavers, the yeah. yeah. Reapers. Oh my yeah. God. That was, that was, that was some of the most horrible stuff. Nuts. <laughs> Nuts. <laughs> that stuff was horrible. And then you had a great yeah. cast too. So um, yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, what's his name from uh, Walking Dead? Um, I'm bringing fire on his name. Plays oh, Daryl. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. The guy who played Daryl was in it. Um, you know, of course, you had. Um, uh, now I'm I'm uh, the guy who played the first um, uh, Hellboy. Hellboy. Yeah. Um, Ron Perlman's in it because he's Ron a good friend of uh, yeah. Guillermo del Toro. So. Ah. Okay. Yeah. You know. I, in fact, yeah, I knew that. And um, I can't think of the woman who was the female lead. Uh, you know, the daughter of uh, the old vampire, but, you know, European chick. You and you didn't see her in, like, anything else. She did, like, that one <laughs> and then it was and like... she was oh. great. Yeah, she really was. So, yeah, Blade 2. You gotta love it. Hey, Mike, what you got? So, you know what? I'm gonna stick with the theme here, because we've already been talking Star Wars. <laughs> um, I want to go with... Because um, we talked about the original... Uh, trilogy last last week um i wanted to go with my favorite of the new movies and it's one that isn't even part of the new trilogy it's rogue one because rogue one technically is a sequel 
or a prequel to Star Wars, to A New Hope, or a sequel to Revenge of the Sith, if you will. But, like, it's the first Star Wars movie that, one, doesn't really have any Jedi in it at all. I mean, other than, like, Vader, and, like, that's only for, like, a little bit. I mean, he ultimately steals the show in the end of the movie. But, like... Oh my god, I've watched that scene like 700 times. <laughs> like that it's like the best scene in Star Wars cuz they 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 teased us. They teased us about it because before the movie came out, they said you're going to get to see Darth Vader in all his glory, like in his full power. And I was like, "Oh, this is going to be sweet." And like we get to the end of the movie and I was like, "Well, maybe they cut it or something. Eh, what are you going to do?" And then like that rebel ship gets real quiet and dark and I was like, Oh man, is it coming? And then Vader shows up, lightsaber, you hear the breathing, and, and he, he just wrecks everything, and it was fantastic. It's but at any rate, it was by far the best new Star Wars movie they've done. And you can point to whatever you want to say is the reason. Well, because they were using the original timeline, whatever, who cares? No, it, it's because they did something different. It was basically Saving Private Ryan meet Star Wars. It was it was a war movie, but it was also yeah. a little Ocean's Eleven. It was kind of a heist movie too. Cause you had to assemble a crew so that you can go get this thing. Like it was it was just a really well done movie. It was interesting. It was different. Like there was a lot going on in this movie. And I don't know what movie everybody else was watching, but when they're like, oh well the CGI for for Tarkin uh, with uh, Peter Cushing just didn't look at the dude when he turned around I was like holy shit they dug they dug him up <laughs> I realized I cursed, so hopefully you'll cut that they really did I was like I was oh, like Peter yeah. Cushing how did they do that <laughs> it was a lot better than uh, that stand in guy they had at the conclusion of uh, Revenge of the Sith <laughs> oh, yeah, for yeah. sure because that that looked exactly like Peter Cushing. I was like, oh, yes. man. Sounded and, like, like too. <laughs> oh, dude. And, like, the, the one who was playing Carrie Fisher, like, the, the Princess Leia was not as as good. It was fine. It was okay. It wasn't, it wasn't bad. But, like, people were... I don't know what the heck they were talking about, dude. But, like, all of Vader's scenes... And they played Vader perfectly because he wasn't a main character in the movie. He was just a bit player. But, like, all of his lines were fantastic when, he, when he's choking out... Um, oh yeah, Krennic. Yeah, he's choking up Krennic, and he goes, to... "Be careful not to choke on your don't ambition." Don't choke on your ambition. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic, that's classic Vader. But like, you even saw him without all of his limbs in the back to tank. I was like, dude, that's like they they added little bits and pieces to add depth to this character, and like. Yeah, just absolutely fantastic movie from start to finish. I really enjoyed every single piece of it. It was, by far, in my opinion, the best new Star Wars movie they've done. I can't argue with that. Hey, um, before we go any further, uh, that musical cue, of course, means that it's time for us to take a short break. Fantastic Forum is brought to you via WERA 96.7 FM, Radio Arlington, and streaming online at WERA.FM. And, as a matter of fact, we are in the midst of our spring fun drive. Visit WERA.FM. Find out how you can support community radio in Arlington. So, we're going to take a short break while we uh, thank all of the sponsors and underwriters, while we promote some of the other fine WERA shows, and we will be back with more Fantastic Forum right after that. Don't go away. (laughs) 
And welcome back to Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM. We are Arlington. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I am joined by Camille Richardson, Brandon Troy, and Mike Lunsford. And we are talking today about sequels. In fact, this special coronavirus edition of Fantastic Forum is a sequel to last week's episode of Fantastic Forum. So we're just doing sequels all around. So uh, when we broke for the break, it was Camille's turn. So uh, Camille, what, what sequel did you want to single out here? Just to give uh, Star Wars a breather for a minute. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I know that we discussed Jurassic Park last week, but I don't think it was on the show. I think it was in like the after talk. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's another one of my... Uh, big problems there it's star wars jurassic park and tolkien but yeah so (laughs) jurassic park uh i just kind of wanted to talk about a bunch of the sequels just because i don't think one sequel has even been able to come close to the original and even with the first three that came out in the 90s um where i didn't hate lost world like a lot of people did there were certain things i would have liked to have changed which is where i feel like we're heading with Um, Fallen Kingdom, where we ended that at, and kind of where we're heading in. It's almost like the redo of Lost World. But had they done it right from the beginning, and I'm not even saying to the book, because I read the book as well, and I loved it, but it is a very different thing. Um, But had they, you know, continued with what they were already doing, had they ended that movie right when the T-Rex gets to San Francisco and roars, that's when they should have ended it. Had they just cut it right there, that whole movie actually would have been decent. And then it would have gotten you so unbelievably psyched for the next one. So it's kind of like that whole idea of, you know, either what would you do if you were to rewrite it? Or, you know, the whole fan theory thing of like, you know, we can break this down and it, and, and we can imagine where this is going to go. And it's probably going to be better than anyone actually comes up with. But kind of one of those scenarios where, so Lost World was okay. Uh, three, I actually enjoyed not just because of Sam Neill coming back, but I did actually enjoy it. However, I will say throughout all the sequels, none of the CG has ever held up to the initial puppeteering from the first one. And even going into Jurassic World and into Fallen Kingdom, it's just, it doesn't hold up the same. But I can say I've enjoyed every single one. (laughs) Maybe I'm just so far down that rabbit hole, but I've totally enjoyed every single one. And I can say that the last one, especially having... um, uh, an animal activist background, working in ex- with exotic animals, things like that. Um, I thought it was a very interesting play on what we do to animals in captivity or just what we do to animals in general. And, you know, the big thing in the last one, Fallen Kingdom, is like, well, we made them, we should save them. And I couldn't agree more with that little girl, even though stuff is about to get real bad. Uh, <laughs> There is some level of responsibility there of you you can't just play God and create life and then just destroy it because it didn't fit within whatever profit margin you wanted. Um, and I don't know, that, that hit me really deeply. And I was like, that is a great way for younger generations to see other living creatures, no matter if they're not even as smart as we are. You know, they are sentient life. And especially because we were the ones responsible for bringing them here but I've enjoyed them all. 
You know, and I, I appreciate what you're saying, uh, because one of the things that I noted about that last Jurassic Park movie, um, what was it? Uh, Ron Howard's uh, daughter. Um, you know, what, uh, you know, who Bryce was Dallas Bryce Dallas Howard. Uh, Bryce, uh, yes. OK, so her character from the previous movie to that one, completely different. I mean, now, you know, she's, you know, more of a animal rights activist. And, uh, you know, concerned, uh, you know, because she was just drank the Kool-Aid, park employee, you know, helping to exploit these things. In fact, probably better at exploiting them than most people in the earlier film. And uh, and yet she had a conscience in the second movie. And so I, I, I and, and the fact that it had something to say, something that is valuable and, um, you know, that actually... I think is relevant because uh, one of the things that I love about a lot of different science fiction is it talks about the responsibility that we have to other forms of life, whether they're friendly or not. And the fact that because we are relatively advanced and intelligent, uh, we need to observe that responsibility that we have to other forms of life. And I thought that this this film said that in a very good way. So thank you. All right. So rolling back around to me, um, this one uh, I um, I want to make sure I get it in. And so I was going to mention something else, but I'm going to go right to this: the all new, all different X Men that started with X Men issue number ninety four. So the original X Men, of course debuted in 1963 uh stan lee jack kirby and uh you know then you know went for uh i want to say it was like 63 issues before they went to reprints and they literally started reprinting the earlier issues the x-men uh sort of fell on hard times uh the only way you saw the x-men was they'd appear in somebody else's book uh, notably Captain America. They had a run there uh, during the Secret Empire saga. But there were no new X-Men stories being told. And so uh, the X-Men, and of course it's you know, alien for people to look at now because the X-Men are like the Marvel franchise, well, up before these movies, where you got like the yeah. Avengers kind of supplanting them. Yeah. But um, yeah, so the, the X-Men... Uh, were revived and it was really a sequel because I'd call it a reboot but for the fact that it advanced the story of the original X-Men had some of the original characters adding some new characters and this was a revival like had never been seen before in the annals of comics started out it was bi bi-monthly the book sold so well eventually it was monthly and this book literally changed marvel comics changed my life <laughs> i mean i don't mind telling you because uh, my friends and i were all reading this book and excited every month when it came out uh you know talking to each other about it asking oh you know was was this revealed yet did these characters find out this you know we were so hyped over it and all the characters were so so well written this is the book that really introduced wolverine into the marvel universe I mean, I've just, I've got nothing but great things to say about what Lynn Ween and Dave Cockrum did in reviving the X-Men and then what Chris Claremont and John Byrne did kind of picking up the baton and carrying it forward. All new, all different X-Men. 
That is one of my favorite sequels of all time. Okay, so uh, Brandon. Um, I would say my second film would be uh, Thor. Um, and the only reason being that it's something to be said about the franchise as a whole that not only can jumpstart you know, the audience's um, interest in that character again, but also can jumpstart the actor's interest. Because, I mean, up to that point, uh, don't get me wrong, the first four was very Shakespearean, but I feel like the second film kind of lost its way. So in the third film, you have, you know, Taika Waititi, who, you know, at that point, no one really, you know, knew who he was. And and after, you know, doing this film, it kind of, I would say, it essentially put him on the, you know, on a map based on like his balls to the wall, like craziness in terms of, you know, the visual flair that um, that he brought to that film, you know, really going like full blown Jack Kirby in terms of like the stylistic choices that that we saw in that film. Um, so much so that, like I said, it not only jump-started, you know, people's interest uh, for more Thor, because at that point, I mean, you know, people loved Thor, but when it came to his, you know, individual adventures, it wasn't at the level of uh, Captain America, per se, or uh, our Iron Man. So, um, and it also jump-started Chris, Chris Hemsworth, where now he wants to continue, you know, to do Thor films. Um, so... That would be my number two. Would be a uh, uh, Thor, um, Thor uh, Ragnarok. Okay, Mike. Yeah, I'm. I gotta co-sign on that one, man. That's a, a great choice, especially too, because like before that, they never really played with the whole concept of Thor being like a comedic character as well. And like in Ragnarok, exactly. they, they really and, ran. And with Chris that. Hemsworth is a funny guy, so yeah. like you know, I feel like you know, creatively as an actor. He felt kind of inhibited in terms of the foundation that they set for that character and making them very Shakespearean. And, and don't get me wrong, I get it why they did it that way. Um, but if you've seen any of the other films that he's done, he has great comedic timing. So I feel the fact that he was able to implement that into the character a lot more than perhaps he was otherwise given the ability to has you know given him a lot more... Um, enthusiasm for that that role now because yeah. but uh, at the same time I would ironically say that uh, they couldn't have done Ragnarok to start if they started the franchise that way you needed that foundation yeah. of the first Thor movie before you went balls to the wall crazy so ironically even though I don't really care for Thor the Dark World but I do enjoy the four, first Thor you couldn't get to Ragnarok without those other two films uh, Camille. So I'm going back to nerdy, but uh, more so with in uh, Lord of the Rings and with Return of the King. So one of my other big ones is anything Tolkien, pretty much. I absolutely adored Fellowship of the Ring. I thought it was the most beautiful adaptation of the actual book itself even if they did steal certain parts from the old, like, 70s cartoon. Uh, and then when oh, Two Ralph Towers Ralph. came out, it was good, but I didn't love it, love it, until the extended versions came out. Mm. And then it brought a whole different feel. But the one that I kind of felt like it fell short on, at least for me, was actually Return of the King. And I know most, most people are the opposite. But I just felt that I think it let down females, in a way. Because, yes, we had Galadriel, and she was cool and well done, and overall, you know, 
expertly portrayed, but I had a huge issue with the portrayal of Eowyn from start to finish, and here you have somebody who has literally spit in the face of basically these demons who have been chasing this entire fellowship for how long at this point? About a year? And it comes down to this woman who just cannot let go of the fact that I want to fight for my people. I want to do what I can do for like my country. And I don't want to be stuck here in a cage and all of that. But instead they made her a lovesick puppy. So when we see Eowyn in Return of the King, it's not that heavy moment when she finally goes up against the Witch King, which is the complete leader of the Nazgul. So these things have been so terrifying for so long. And it's in this whole moment of, you know, nobody can take this thing down. And finally, it's like, well, I am no man, you know, and she and she rips off her helm. Uh, no man am I. But it's such a lackluster moment. And it's like, I don't know, I, I felt a huge failing with it. And it quickly goes on to the next scene. And it just comes down to, you know, Aragorn and Gandalf being the big heroes of the day. Um, and it's just like, we just had, you know, two movies, you know, fighting these guys and running away from them. And finally this chick who just goes up against everything and, and takes, you know, one of the smallest people who can make the biggest difference with her. And it's barely seen as anything. I don't know. That was just my opinion. I felt like they really wasted that moment. And even when she finds love and hope in Faramir, it's like they still had to play the whole Aragorn thing for a while too. And I just, I didn't like it. I thought it was in bad taste if that makes sense. Well, the, that particular trilogy was not long on strong female characters. And, um, you know, I, I think that overall weakness of the material is, uh, is part of what you're reacting to. Um, I, I absolutely also, they made Arwen far more powerful and do things that she didn't actually do. And that was frustrating because yeah. she was a more well-known uh, celebrity. Mm, yeah. Well, in a, uh, but there again, I think in an effort to sort of create opportunities for female characters in, a, in where there had been none before, you know, it's um, and, uh, not to excuse what they did. And I absolutely agree with you. And, um, you know, I mean, I, I love that material myself. I, I am not as well versed on uh, some of the books. I mean, there's stuff that I found out, uh, for example, that scene that you mentioned where she tears off her helm and after the witch king has declared no man can kill me and she's well, I am no man. Um, apparently, uh, also, the blade that um, the hobbit used to stab him was a blade that was created. I only found this out for some friends of mine who uh, read the, the books. But mm -hmm. yeah, the, the, but the blade they used to stab him was a blade that was specifically made to kill the Witch King, which, you know, oh, wow, how that's convenient that he happened to have that one particular sword, you know. But so anyway, yeah, I all that, that makes to you say, want to go back and like reread parts of that, because I don't remember that, to be honest with you. I grew up reading Tolkien, so I same like I was a big like, I love the movies, but there were scenes where I was like, like, OK, for instance, Two, two Towers is actually Two Towers. I'd say Fellowship is my favorite of the movies, but like Two Towers, like when the when the elf army shows up to Helm's Deep, that didn't happen in the book, man. No. So like, it's <laughs> I mean, it's, it's cool and all. Like it, it's a nice like camaraderie moment. Wasn't Helmsier dead? Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, 
Yeah. So like they they basically they killed him at Helm's Deep, but like he didn't die at that part of the story. So it was like a whole thing. But like the thing I loved about Two Towers is like you you see how hopeless everything is, and then in the end there is hope because they overcome this like massive like onslaught of orcs and like it's I wouldn't say it's cheapened, but like a little bit like by the fact that you had the elf army show up too. Like and they were actually they were fighting like outside of Lothlorien the whole time, like against another yeah. orc army that was trying to attack them. So I mean yeah, like, it's exactly you know it, it kind of bothered me that uh there was that uh the character now I'm I'm gonna blank on his name. Oh it was Hama uh was the name of the character. He was one of the lead guys to Theoden and yeah. they made him a punk in yeah. the movie. He was really yeah. tough in the book. And I was like, oh, come on. Hama was like one of the best guys. This is messed up. Anyway, look, uh, you're listening to Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM, Radio Arlington. We are your community radio station. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Camille Richardson and Brandon Troy and Mike Lunsford. We are talking about sequels and... Um, if we didn't have anything else that we were going to talk about with uh, Lord of the Rings, then I'm going to roll on to uh, to my next one. Uh, Star Trek The Next Generation, because it, it, it truly was a sequel to the original Star Trek series and takes place a hundred years after the original series, introduces a whole new generation. You see how the Federation has moved forward, how the technology has gotten better, how there are new enemies, uh, you know, how everything has progressed in this hundred years. And yet, even in the opening, they show you a 137-year-old Leonard McCoy, and I'm like, it really is Star Trek. Oh, my God, you know, and and that was all I needed, you know, just, uh, I mean, particularly in terms of innovations like oh, there's a Klingon serving in Starfleet, you know, uh, realizing the Organian um, premonition of the Klingons and the Federation working together uh, in the future. I mean, so th there was so much stuff to love. It was really something special and uh, reinvigorated the Star Trek franchise and led to a whole bunch more TV sequels. So, uh, Brandon? Cool. Uh, sorry, so my number one um, is going to be actually, in some ways, I guess, a sequel to my number one from previous episode. Uh, uh, it would be Terminator uh, uh, films. It's like one of my default films. Here you have a film. James Cameron had done the original and kind of similar to Blade. It kind of came out of nowhere where people forget that it was a, a low-budget film uh, for its type at that time. But it ended up becoming this iconic film, and it could have easily, uh, similar to what I was saying with Blade, could have been another cash grab and and just trying to uh, uh, repeat the same formula of having uh, a Arnold coming back and going after John Connor again. But no, you know they they added a new element. They added the T one thousand, which was awesome with Robert Patrick and. You also added another layer to it by having, you know, the iconic Linda Hamilton, uh, you know, her character, Sarah Connor, which has become one of the archetypal um, uh, female, you know, strong female characters that we have in, like, pop culture uh, that, you know, now she's kind of, that character has paved the way for other, you know, strong female characters that we, you know, continue to see in cinema. 
So to have all those elements of you're making Arnold, you know, now protecting John Connor, you have a new Terminator, which who's actually even more dangerous than the original Terminator. You have Sarah Connor's, you know, uh, strong, uh, strong um, um, iteration of Sarah Connor versus, you know, the meeker one that we had in the first film. And you also have uh, state of the art effects that, um, at that time, you know, was groundbreaking. So uh, definitely Terminator 2. Mm-hmm. I got gotcha. you. All right. Okay. Um, we are almost out of time, but I think we can still get our last two panelists in uh, to kind of close this round out. Uh, Mike, what you got? Got it. Wanted to touch on what Brandon said real quick. Because he said that uh, Terminator 2 was great, the special effects were great. They had the ability to use digital stuff. They didn't use that much. A lot of it was practical. It's the same thing we said with Jurassic Park before, too. Part of the reason why T2 was so awesome. They used a lot of practical effects. Anyways, I, we're huge Disney fans in our house. I talked about it on our year in review on Fantastic Form. I'm going to bring it up again. Toy Story 4. Toy, Toy Story 4, in my opinion, is the best Toy Story movie they had, period. Because it takes a concept that we all know and we all love. And we figured this last movie was going to be like a total cash grab. There wasn't going to be any substance to it. It was going to be like, hey, here are the characters again doing cool things. And it, it touched on things that I never expected a Toy Story movie to touch on. Like the concept of what do you do when your life's purpose is gone? And like the fact that like in the end, the, the hero ends up forgiving the villain and helping them to heal. And then decides that he's going to try to do that for others in his life going forward. Like Woody basically says, hey, you know what, Buzz, you got this. You take care of Bonnie and all the other toys. I'm going to help save other toys uh, and find owners for them. And like that was just such an incredibly beautiful message for essentially what's supposed to be just a little kid's movie. Like I thought it was fantastic. That's a good call. All right. Uh, Camille? Well, I didn't necessarily have a third one lined up. <laughs> um, and you were hoping Mike was going to take more of that time, huh? It's like, oh, sorry, Camille, we got no time for you. <laughs> I'm just trying not to talk about Star Wars because that's just what life is. Hey, if you want to talk about Star Wars, there's plenty of Star Wars sequels. Hey, hey there's no, there's no rules here. There's no. I rules. mean. Can we just call this last season of Clone Wars a sequel? Because it's being done like a movie. <laughs> it's kind of a sequel. <laughs> well, it coincides with a sequel. <laughs> I mean, it ha it has its basis on a um, a story that happened before it. So without that story, it wouldn't exist. So, I mean, I think the judges will allow this one. <laughs> True. <laughs> So, I mean, are, are any of you up to date and watching the most recent, at least the newest arc? I'm still, I'm waiting for it to finish and then I'm going to binge the whole thing. That's right. So I yeah. can't say Same. too much. Yeah. Like, so. I, I'm, I'm excited though. Cause like, I, I loved what they did with Ahsoka. I loved, um, what they did with her in Rebels. Um, in fact, I even went to, uh, went, went, went into battle on Facebook, uh, because a mutual friend, Mr. Philip Jean-Pierre was like, Ahsoka really didn't do anything except get her butt kicked. And I was like, how dare you, sir? Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> he, was just, he was, he was, he was purposefully being, um, inflammatory just to like, you know, stir stuff up. And that's what yeah. Black Gorbachev I mean, does. He stirs stuff anything, up. She can, she's the one who can prove that you can have the same feelings about the Jedi, but not turn to the dark side. Exactly. Not only that, yeah. you have that fight with Vader, which is like one of the most amazing fights in all of Star Wars fandom ever. 
Well, it might have just gotten trumped. Oh, dude, are you serious? Okay. All right. I'm not even kidding. Maybe I'll just start watching it now and I'll just catch up. And they use motion capture to do it. What? Really? <laughs> dude. All right. Hey, I'm going to yes. leave this show early, Huli, because I got a show that I got to watch. <laughs> but yeah, it, I'll just say this. It's happening at the same time as another sequel. Mm. And yeah. it is beyond oh, epic. Was going to tie into um, Revenge of the Sith. Some younglings that... about to get messed up in about an episode or two. Mm. Oh, I'm so excited. I got to watch this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, hate to say, I don't know what it is about like the prequel kids that just find the youngling thing hilarious. I think it's just the shock of it that it ever happened. Dude, in okay. All right. Art. So I told Yuli about this, right? There's a whole thing. <laughs> but so it happened like the, the backstory of it is, is Michael Jordan had a basketball camp, right? And Chris Paul, a uh, professional basketball player, was at the camp as well. And Chris space Paul. Ran, um, no. Uh, Chris, Chris Paul. They had a, a space camp. Oh, it was a space camp, geez. A basketball camp that they were um, doing. And Chris Paul said, hey, kids, we're going to let Michael Jordan shoot uh, 25 shots in a row. And if you oh, miss yeah. one, everybody gets free Jordans, right? And Michael Jordan gets <laughs> to hit every single one of these shots in a row. And on shot 25, he turns and looks to Chris Paul and says, F them kids, right? <laughs> F F them kids has become something that is like come across the internet. It's like, it's <laughs> right? So I actually, I made a meme too of Anakin Skywalker right after he turned to the dark side as Darth Vader and like where he's looking all menacing and evil and he's got his hood up and it says F them kids. And I made a t-shirt of it. I'm so excited for when this t-shirt comes. But like, <laughs> oh. I love the whole thing. Like, there's like a, a meme going around and it's like Uno. It's like, <laughs> draw 25 or... You know, kill a bunch of kids, and he's like, "Uno, <laughs> <laughs> wow!" Like, I mean, I was so surprised that, of all things, Disney allowed Rogue One for everybody to die. But the fact that even pre that, like, even just in a Star Wars film, anyway, even in an entire prequel trilogy that was essentially started up for kids again, like that's how we ended it out. <laughs> Well, I mean, you gotta show how evil he is, and like, how evil, what's the most evil thing you could do? Kill a bunch of kids. Kill some kids, yeah, it doesn't get more evil than that. Okay, so, that's our show for today, people. <laughs> I'd like to thank my panelists, and you too, for tuning in. Of course, Fantastic Forum is also a television show. If you happen to be in the Arlington area, you can check it out tonight at 8 p.m. on Comcast Channel 69, Verizon Fio... Comcast Channel 69, Verizon Fios Channel 38, Arlington Independent Media. We're on on Saturdays and Sundays. Also, if you miss any portion of the show, you can catch it again on Thursday afternoons at 3 p.m. And we've got a wonderful website where we've got the television show, we've got episodes of the radio show, we've got segments of the television show broken out. All this stuff just for you. FantasticForum.tv And, as always, Make sure you come back next week, same bat time, same bat station. Have a great weekend. Stay safe, people.